Well, um, I had a little bit of a challenge deciding what to preach today, honestly, because, uh, well, as you all know, it's the start of the Christmas season. It's uh, the first Sunday of Advent, and um, yet I still had one last sermon in my series on Ruth, which y'all seem to enjoy so much. So um, I was kind of caught between which way should I go, but then uh, thankfully as I was studying, I realized that there is no compromise here. I can finish this uh, chapter of Ruth just fine as an Advent sermon. It's it's going to be kind of like how um, how Die Hard is considered a Christmas movie. It's not really about Christmas, but when you look back, there was a lot of Christmas in it. Um, the sermon's kind of be like that. So, um, so here we go. I entitled this "The Best for Last." The best for last, and. Um, We're going to be looking at Ruth chapter 4 and the last part, verses 9 through 22. Um, But just as an introduction before we read it together, um, I just want to share, when when I was growing up, um, my siblings and I, we actually, um, we would strategize on how we would eat our food. Um, There was a certain order that we determined was the best way to go about it, and each of us had determined a, a slightly different order of events. Um, so some of us would like to eat one particular item until it was all gone and then move to the next. And some of us would like to, you know, eat a bite here, a bite there and work your way around, kind of spread it around. Some of us were a little more adventurous. We would combine things as we ate them. Um, and some of us would like to eat our vegetables before meats, but you know, there was lots of different ways that we could approach that. My own personal preference was that I would have a strategy for each plate because I thought each one deserved its own particular strategy. Um, So for instance, if you go out for burger and fries, the French fries are only good for about 10 minutes. So you better eat those first. Um, Where in other cases, you can come back to the sides later, you know, so. But one thing that we tended to agree upon as we strategized about how to eat our food was that you saved the best for last. You always save the best for last, and you would always want to know if there's dessert coming because you, you would want to plan for that. You know, there's certain things you don't want to eat right before you have dessert, so you would plan and prepare. But we always had this idea of you would save the best for last. That was like universally accepted in my family. And I, the more I thought about that, the more I realized this is actually something that goes beyond just my own family's tradition of how to eat food. The, the best for last concept is actually fairly pervasive in our culture. Um, for example, you might have heard the phrase business before pleasure, right? Save the best for last. Or, you know, our general career path is that retirement falls after your career, generally, right? That's generally how it goes, and everybody's excited to get to that retirement stage. That's the best for last. Or if you're a babysitter, or if you're going to be a babysitter, listen up. Um, It's generally wise and good to have a fun activity reserved for after we clean up everything. That's generally a good idea. You have that best for last concept that really plays in your favor and helps motivate. And then, of course, stories, the way the story arc flows. You have your introduction, your tension, your resolve, and 
not least, last but not least, you're happily ever after. The best is always saved for last, at least in, in all the good stories. I know they've come out with some new movies where it doesn't end well, and we're all disappointed when that happens, because you're supposed to save the best for last. That's the way it's supposed to be. In fact, this is even built into the way that God created this world. When, he, when the creation came, the creation week that he made, it was the Sabbath, the day of rest, the day of joy, the day of reflecting on the goodness that had been accomplished. That was last. The best is always saved for last. And so as we read this last part of the book of Ruth together, I want you to notice all the wonderful things that happen here at the end as we relish in God reserving the best for last for both or for um, for sorry <laughs> for Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi as we see how God really reserved the best for last for them after all that they went through together. So let's read in starting in verse nine. When it says, Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have brought, that I bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who was coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, uh, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Jerusalem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Solomon. Solomon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. This is the reading of God's word. What a beautiful ending, isn't it? God truly saves the best for last. And so let's look at how God saved the best for last for these three people in this story. We'll start with Boaz. God saved the best for Boaz. Boaz, who was a gentleman who was not young of age and no doubt had been longing for a spouse for many years, and God blessed him with 
a wonderful, godly spouse in his later years. Now, I want to ask this question, why was Boaz single? I mean, this guy is a godly guy. Uh, he stayed true to God through a time, a period in Israel's history where people went astray from the Lord, and he remained faithful as best as we can tell. And uh, he was a generous man as the way he treated Ruth and his servants. They were happy. They received great benefits. Uh, he, he sat at the table with his servants, giving them dignity, honor, and sharing of the fruit of their labor together. This is a great guy. Why in the world was he single? On top of that, if that wasn't enough, he was rich. I mean, that right there is enough to overcome so many obstacles for some ladies. Why is this guy single? I'm serious. Uh, you know, one of my favorite professors in Bible college liked to tell a little bit of a joke, and um, he would say that there was an elder gentleman who was being married to a quite a bit younger lady, and, um, and the best man uh, kind of leaned over to the groom as he was watching her come down and said, hey, what does June see in December? And June being like the youthful person in the prime of their life and December being towards the latter years and end of their life. And, and the groom with a twinkle in his eye responded, Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the reality of life. And uh, so why is Boaz not married? And you may say, well, what, what benefit does this question serve? And I think it actually, actually serves to highlight um, some important things about Boaz that are kind of a little bit in between the lines in this story, but I think fit very, very well. And I want to present that to you. So don't take this home as the gospel truth, but it just fits so well, I got to share it with you. Okay, so, so Boaz is living in a time when the people of God in general are being unfaithful to the Lord. And Boaz is one who is faithful to the Lord. And it is my conviction that Boaz refrained from marrying the ladies that were around in that place at that time because he wanted to make sure that he was being married to a faithful woman like God would have him do. That's my conviction. And, it, and why does this fit? It fits because of who Boaz is related to and who Ruth is. If you were to look in the book of Matthew in the genealogy of Jesus, you would find in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. By Rahab. Rahab, who was a foreigner, who became an an important part of the people of God because she came to God by faith. She's a person who the scripture says that whole town was to be devoted to destruction. No one was to be spared. And yet here was one who came to God and was received and became an important person in the, the history of God's people. And it parallels so well with who Ruth is and her story, doesn't it? She's a Moabite, and in Deuteronomy, it says that Moabites are not to be welcomed into the people of God, and yet 
Despite that restriction, God received her because she was faithful. And I personally believe that Boaz was of enough character that he was willing to hold out till there was someone special, someone who really was godly, and he knew it. And when he saw Ruth and discerned all that she had done for her mother-in-law and staying faithful to her through these hard times and working to provide for their family and being humble and being godly, I'm convicted that when he saw that, he got excited because that reminded him of his mother or ancestor, depending on how you uh, interpret that, um, Rahab. Certainly, he would have known about uh, his relative Rahab, and certainly this would have spoken to his heart. And so, so I see Boaz as, as receiving that, that ache, that, that pain, as I, I see him having that resolved by God, as God brings him the one thing that he's been holding out for, that he's been waiting for, that his heart desires after all of these years of waiting and hoping and wondering. And you know, um, that's a really um, noble thing, I have to say, because uh, when somebody desires to get married, that is a very powerful motivation, and it is really hard to, to reserve yourself and hold out for uh, the best in your life. And I see it quite often and come across, especially when uh, people say get a divorce, and it's almost like the first thing they do is want to get remarried, and they, they kind of throw out all the things that they know about reserving themselves for a godly person because they just want to get back to a place where all is well and they're back to a comfortable relationship. Or, or when, they, when they have a really deep relationship with somebody who isn't godly but, or isn't a Christian, but they're, they're an okay person, maybe, maybe I can change them, maybe I can convert them. And, and they, I can see all of the challenges with that. But I have to say this that god when god calls us to follow after him he always has the best in mind for us and so as we follow him we have to have faith that god is reserving the best for last and and to be faithful to his calling faithful to his word even when it comes to things like choosing a spouse because uh, there is nothing more important than well i should say there are many things this is a super important thing in your life. I'll say that. This is a super important thing in your life. Who you marry, it impacts so much. It impacts uh, how you guys will live together. And you, you are closely united with somebody. You want that to be somebody who is of the same mindset, has the same goals, especially when it comes to following after God in faith. And then when children are brought into the situation, it just complicates things all the more if you guys aren't on the same page of how to raise the children, and um, especially with regards to the Lord. And so that is why God calls us to be, be careful who we marry. That's why he tells us we marry only those who are of the faith so that you can have that commonality, have that, that camaraderie as you move forward together and raise your children. And so Boaz, I, hear, I see here as one who who was faithful, who kind of took God up on 
his word. And, and God was faithful to him in the end. God reserved the best for last for him. And now whenever I bring this, you know, the topic of marriage up, I always want to throw into this, this other aspect of life, living life before God that is actually um, a life of singleness. Um, it, it can be that some people will get um, looked down upon if they re- they're at a certain age and they haven't been married. And that is something we need to be careful of. I want to be cautious of that. They may be being extra faithful to God by being single as they wait for God to bring the right person. And then, of course, there is also the gift of singleness that God has uh, given to certain people. And so we need to respect that. We need to honor that. And, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with a person being single. In fact, the Apostle Paul said there's benefit. There's, there's benefit to being single if one is dedicating themselves to the work of the Lord uh, because that provides them certain opportunities that married people don't have. Uh, think of all the great works of Christian history that were written by single men that we are reading hundreds, thousands of years later. That, that just doesn't happen when you're married. And there's five reasons right there why I haven't written anything that people will be reading in hundreds of years. It's just, you know, you've got other priorities, and I'm very thankful for that. I, I, pref- I like hanging out with my family, and I'm thankful for that. That's God hasn't gifted me to be single, but, uh, but if someone is, we need to respect that. We need to honor that. And for those who are waiting, encourage them. That's hard. That's hard. It's even harder when people are trying to egg you on to compromise. Um, give us grace as we come alongside those who are waiting and who are trying to be faithful to God. And encourage them with this truth. God saves the best for last. And I I'll share with you a couple stories. Um, I have a friend. Um, she was a, a nurse, and so she was a very um, attractive offer, so to speak, to to some young men. And yet, she reserved herself. She wanted to make sure she was marrying the right guy, and she just didn't come across the right man until she was in her late thirties. And uh, she waited and. Lo and behold, she found a Presbyterian, even though she was a Baptist. And we know, we know that was of God. So um, I'm thankful for that. And so there's a success story for you. Um, And I I will tell one more. There was a gentleman that was actually one of the uh, professors at my Bible college. And he was in his early, late 40s, early 50s. I can't quite tell. Um, 50 is starting to look younger every year, honestly. So, <laughs> um, But anyway, um, he got married for the first time to his wife just shortly before his 50s. And, you know, it was actually kind of strange seeing a couple in their late 40s, 50s being newlyweds because you generally don't see that same googly eyes <laughs> by the time... You know, if you marry young and you get to that age, you ju- you're generally not in that stage together. So it was, it was very interesting, to say the least. But, uh, but they were so happy, and they would tell everyone it was worth the wait. It was worth the wait. And uh, God saves the best for last, and we see that with Boaz. Okay, well, what about Ruth? God saves the best for last for her, too. Uh, Ruth, 
found that even, even a person who comes from a, a people group that is hostile to God and a background that is hostile to God is welcome to God and God lets them in on the blessings too. They're not excluded from this principle that God saves the best for last for them too. All are welcome who will come. And so Ruth came and Ruth gave herself to the Lord and God blessed her mightily far, far beyond what she ever would have hoped to ask. When she originally plotted to go back to Israel with her mother-in-law Naomi from the town of, or from the land of Moab, she had nothing but the expectation of a hard life and nobody wanting her. She was formerly married, widowed, and had no children after 10 years of marriage, which basically would have made her unmarriable. Who would want to marry a barren woman who can't provide you an inherit uh, a son who can inherit your land? That, that, nobody's going to want that. She's got everything stacked against her. And yet, as we read the story, we see God was good to her, wasn't he? More, amazingly good to her. In fact, she received a husband after all. She received that family support that she as a widow needed so desperately. And God provided her not just a husband, somebody who would take her, someone who would compromise enough to take this woman. No, he provided her someone who actually desired her. Somebody who was godly. Somebody who was really a catch. And it didn't hurt that he had a lot of money. <laughs> Let's just be honest, right? Uh, that helps. Uh, she, got, she was tremendously blessed. I mean, and so God cared for her in a way that she never would have thought to ask. And God saves the best for last for even those who have a checkered past. Maybe you think if, if you guys just knew what I did when I was younger or in my earlier years, you wouldn't even talk to me. You know, I, God bless you. God forgives. And God lets you in on his blessings too. You are not excluded. You are welcomed. This book of Ruth really proclaims that message loud and clear. And so God provided greatly for her. God provided the best for last as she remained faithful to God and God was faithful to her in return. She also not only received a husband, that's great, but what about her barrenness? What about that inability to provide a child? Well, God miraculously overcame that obstacle for her too. If you've ever uh, met people who had desired to have children and could not or struggled to, you, you know the pain and the suffering that those people go through as they desire a child and are waiting and hoping and are disappointed. Um, Actually, one of my favorite sisters, the one that's next older than me, um, she, she actually got married, um, I think it was one or two months before I did. Like we, got, we got married in the same year. And, um, and they went uh, seven years of trying. 
and trying until finally God blessed them. And it was challenging. And I remember talking to her on a fairly, fairly regular basis and hearing their struggles, hearing their concerns, hearing their desires. You know, it wears on you, doesn't it? Um, but praise God, in her case, God provided for her, and she just recently had her fourth child. And so um, they're, they're doing uh, quite well in, ha- in the children having department. And uh, so God has, God has blessed them as well. Um, and, and again, I'll, I'll bring up uh, this as well. Um, not everybody is, is blessed to have children. You know, uh, God has um, a different plan for every one of us, and we don't know what that plan is. Uh, but for those of us that God gives children, it's a blessing. And I, I bring that up in large part because in our culture, um, people like to brag about not having children. And it's actually creating, actually, real problems in the world. Um, China, for example, is uh, having real problems with their um, society because they limited how many children can be born. And that's, and then when you can only have one child, everybody wants a boy. So where's the girls? It creates all kinds of problems, and now their economy is starting to struggle because uh, there's real implications of not having children. Um, conversely, there are other areas where <laughs> they're kind of being taken over by um, people groups that have many children. And uh, so there are very real ramifications uh, for these things, but seeing children as a blessing is definitely the view of Scripture. That, and uh, so it is good and wonderful that we see uh, the beauty and the wonder of children, um, and not see them as our current society in America sees them as, as almost a curse and a, a boat anchor. Um, I'll tell you one story. Um, I had a window cleaning business for 10 years in the Detroit area, and so I, lots of customers, and one of my customers was the wife of a, a big-name executive for a company that I I don't remember which one it was, but uh, it wasn't a small company. She was a pretty well-off person, and I enjoyed cleaning her windows. She was a very pleasant lady. Um, she was a stay-at-home mom while her husband was the executive businessman. And she said that she, one thing she, uh, by the time I got to see her, meet her, her husband had passed recently, and she made note of one thing that she really appreciated from her husband. And she said, my husband would invite me to some really, you know, um, important meetings with some really important people. And he always introduced me as my wife, who is the queen of our house. He always praised her for being the homemaker. And he never put that down. He always uplifted her. This is the mother of my children. And always praised her and uplifted her. And she really appreciated that because, well, quite frankly, is there an any more important job in the world than raising your kids? Um, that's a wonderful uh, opportunity if you have the ability to do that, and there's nothing to put that down. Children are a blessing. Children are a blessing, and, and uh, Ruth was one who desired that blessing, and, and God blessed her. God blessed her as she was faithful to him. That was good news, wasn't it? The birth of a child brought so much goodness, so much joy into the life of Ruth. But not only was Ruth blessed by this, 
Naomi was also blessed by this. Um, I, I believe that this book really should be called the book of Naomi because it's really actually about her. It begins with her and it ends with her. It's really about her redemption. And Ruth is really just a super prominent, unexpected figure that, that comes in in the middle and is used of God to bless Naomi. God saved the best for Naomi as well, who's one who ran away from God and then came back, came to her senses and came back. She is the Old Testament prodigal son. And God has reserved the best for last, for even those who run away, for those who leave for a time. And that is another really strong message of the book of Ruth. God welcomes those who have gone astray and come home. God welcomes those who have gone astray and come home. You are welcome back. When you leave, if you leave, <laughs> you are welcome back. Do not doubt that. God welcomes you. And I do pray that we as God's people will adopt that attitude as well. And God reserved the best for Naomi as when she came back, she found God's favor smiled upon her and God provided through Ruth mightily for her too. Naomi wasn't left out in the cold. God provided for her. And so when Boaz took Ruth as his wife and took the land of Elimelech, he cared for Ruth, but also for Naomi. He cared for her. And it's interesting that the text reads that a son has been born to Naomi. A son has been born to Naomi. Now we know. <laughs> the son was born from Ruth, right? That's how we would think of it when we read this. The son was born to Naomi, but, but actually what it's pointing at is God's goodness and grace to Naomi through the birth of this child. God had redeemed Naomi from a life that was destined to a bitter end. And in fact, that's a really appropriate description because at the beginning of this book, Naomi came back from Moab, beaten inside, destroyed inside, because she had lost all that was precious to her. And so when she came back, she said, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. That doesn't fit my character right now. It doesn't fit my life. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because that's what my life is right now. But praise God, God didn't leave her there, did he? He did not leave her there. As she turned back to him, even, even in her confused state, as she turned back to God, just knowing I've got to go back home, God led her back to himself, got her all the way there, and brought her home and took care of her. And then, even though she may have only hoped to just make it by until she passed. God did mightily for her, more than she would have thought to ask. He reserved 
something great for her in the end. And so Naomi reaps the benefits of this principle in God's word, that God saves the best for last. Don't lose hope when it comes to serving God. God, There's always hope. There's always hope. And now I will address the one possible elephant in the room. Well, what about those people that don't get a happy ending when they turn towards God? What about those people who are being martyred around the world? What about those people who come back and, and they face um, poverty because, well, they chose to follow God and they're cut off from their family and their systems of support and possibly from their work? What about those people? Did God reserve the best for last for them? From this side of eternity, it doesn't look like that is the case, does it? But we got to remember to keep the eternal perspective in mind. And when you add up everything, we know that God reserves the best for last for his people. For those who have a hard life and are eating the crumbs from the table of people that are well off, but end up in heaven are far greater than the people who are dispersing those crumbs as the leftovers and end up in a place called hell. My friends, this life isn't the end of the story. For all of God's people, no exceptions, God has reserved the best for last. That's something you can take to the bank. That's the principle of God's word. That's, it is built into our world that God has reserved the best for last for his people. No exceptions. And Naomi and Ruth and Boaz are just kind of a testimony in this world to that fact. That we're, we're, we're headed towards a better place. We're headed towards a good ending. God has reserved the best for last. And for Naomi, she received something that was most precious to her. She wanted that child. She wanted that future hope that that provided for her and for her family. And God did not leave her disappointed when she turned to him and trusted in him. God reserves the best for last. What a beautiful principle, isn't that? I'm so excited to save that. And and being that uh, this message is a message of hope, it fits very nicely with the Advent theme, doesn't it? I told you this can be a Christmas sermon, right? So we're going to make it one. All right? So, so one of the themes in this passage that I want to connect to, the Christmas theme, is actually how the birth of a child makes such a positive impact on these people's lives. It, it gave them the hope that they needed. It, it was that beacon of light in the midst of a dark situation. And isn't that what we have received through our, the, the birth of the child, Jesus Christ, who was born into this world? And when he was born, that was the beginning of that bright light shining in the midst of darkness in our world. That's when God's promise to redeem us from the impact of sin and redeem us and restore us back to himself was starting to actually come to pass in human history. What a wonderful thing. 
And as the people of God were waiting and hoping for that day, the day came and Jesus was born, and that brought about that beacon of hope. Can you imagine the thousands of years of simply repeating the promise, God's going to send a Messiah, he's going to send a child, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. I mean, even you and I today with our instant culture might get a little impatient just reading the genealogies leading up to Jesus. Uh, Those represent generations, tens, hundreds, thousands of years of history as God's people waited, waited, waited for God to bring that hope that he promised us. And he did. He did when Jesus was born. Jesus was born and came and lived, and he fulfilled the promise that God had made to our father, Adam. If you are faithful, you will live forever. He earned the right of that promise that we forfeited because of our father, Adam's forfeiting it for us. And he earned that right, and he gives it to all, all who will trust in him and make him their Lord and Savior. Follow after him and his ways, and you too will receive that hope that all will be well in the end and that God is saving the best for last for you too. Let us pray and thank the Lord for this positive, encouraging message. Dear Heavenly Father, we give much thanks to you for your goodness to us and for this blessed message. Lord, help us to relish in the fact that there's hope. There's hope because Your son came and has brought redemption to us so that we don't have to face the only end that we face outside of him, and that's eternal doom and gloom. Lord, you've you've saved the best for last for your people, and, and for those of us who know that, we relish and thank you for that. Lord, Continually remind us of this truth and keep that fresh in our minds as we want to keep our eyes on you as we go through the ups and downs of this life. May stories like this from the book of Ruth continually encourage us to remember your truth and and may we share this with others who are around us and Lord, even even share the the truth of, of the eternal end with those who are around us, who you've given us influence with, and and may people be called to be part of your people through this. Lord, uh, I thank you for this season of Christmas that especially highlights these promises in our lives, and we thank you for sending your son to come and redeem us. It was not easy, it was not glamorous, and yet you chose to do it anyway, and we thank you and praise you for that, and As we celebrate this season of Christmas, may we always be cognizant of that fact that you loved us so much that you came to this world, this broken world, to save us. And Lord, as uh, we go from here, uh, I pray that you'll bless our steps and and lead us to, to other times of joy and remembrance and always recognize, may you help us always recognize that these Good things only come from you, where all good things come from. 
We ask this according to your revealed will. Amen.